Well, good evening. Welcome to the Power of Joy. I am really excited that you guys have all come here. I know a number of you come from out of town, and many of you come from here in Lawrence, and you're all welcome. I know that many of you don't know each other yet, and that's okay. Um, I hope during the course of the class that you'll make some new friends, build some relationships, and that you will discover more about the power of joy. Um, The class is designed to be a combination of teaching and exercises, and so you're going to have times to interact and get to know some people around you, and so I'll explain more of that later. But for now, what I want us to do is I want us to take just a few minutes to meet and greet. I want us to take the next 10 minutes, and I want to encourage you to meet two or three people you don't know yet. And in doing that, I want you to introduce yourself, find out where the other person's from, and what their name is. And then I want you to ask them this question. I want you to share this. I want you to share, I'm at the power of joy because, and I'll even make it easy, I'll give you some multiple choice options. I'm at the power of joy because my spouse made me come. All right? Uh, In a group this size, there's probably someone or two here that that fits, and that's okay. We're glad you're here anyway. I hope in time you discover that you want to be here as well, but we're glad you're here regardless. Uh, I'm at the power of joy. Maybe option B is because I'm looking to increase my joy strength. Maybe you've read some of Jim Wilder's stuff or heard some of my teaching or some other teachings on the power of joy, and you want to increase your joy strength. Uh, third option is, I've been to restarting, belonging, or other classes, and I want to learn more. Or, maybe there's other reasons. Maybe God just spoke to you and said you need to be here tonight. Uh, I just want you to share that with one another, so let's take the next ten minutes uh, to meet and greet two or three people that you don't already know. Alright, so we pull it back together. We want to begin just by answering the basic question of, what is the power of joy? What is this class about, and what are we doing here? What is the power of joy? Well, to begin with, what I want you to know is that it is a combination of teaching, exercises, and a manual prayer processing. And from that, the teaching is going to consist of, each week we'll shoot for 30 to 45 minutes of teaching, of me sharing information with you. And that information is going to come from a variety of sources. Some of it comes from Restarting and Belonging, which are two of the thriving classes that we've taught here at New Hope, Uh, one of which we taught Restarting, I think, about three or four times, always in the video format, and then we've taught Belonging twice with me actually teaching the material because the video has not yet been developed. Uh, They're in the process of developing it, and I would encourage, uh, once it's out, for you to watch that. There's some very good teaching in it. Uh, And we'll probably offer belonging classes and restarting classes again in the future. Other places that the material will come from is a little book called The Life Model, Living Out of the Heart Jesus Gave You. Uh, It's a little green book that has been very foundational to many of us. A counselor introduced my wife and I to it, I don't know, five or six years ago. And once I read that, I started... Uh, diving in and searching out more information, the things that Jim Wilder shared about joy and relationships and community, just really struck a nerve with me. And so from that, I found his book, Living with Men, and some other resources. And so my teaching will come from a lot of those sources, also from some of the teaching by Dr. Uh, Carl Lehman, 
who is the primary person behind the Emmanuel process that we'll talk about more later. So the teaching time will be 30 to 45 minutes each week, and we will try to record those teachings each week. And for those of you who were at our first class and saying, you know, some of this sounds different, it's because, as you remember, I had problems with the recording. So I'm now recording this the day after. But hopefully I'll at least get most of the content. And probably some new content, because I have that tendency when I teach. So anyway... um, But then another real critical part of the class is that we will spend uh, about 30 to 45 minutes each week doing practical exercises in groups of three or four people to help build joy-filled community, to learn new skills, and to work on the right side of our brains. And when I talk about working on the right side of the brain, for those of you who are new to this concept and new to these teachings, what you need to know is that most of our teaching and learning really focuses on the left side of our brain. And what I mean by that is that you can picture the brain divided right down the middle, right and left. And oversimplification is, you know, you've always heard of, you know, right side brain people are artists, left side are engineers, okay? Well, that's an oversimplification, but a a good way to look at it is the left side of our brain is like a file cabinet, and it has folders and information for everything we know verbally and logically, all right? Now, the problem with that, though, is that the left side of our brain is the last stop on the train, and what I mean by that is that it's level five, it's at the very top, and if anything gets stuck in levels one, two, three, or four, then we are not able to fully access the information in level five. And that explains why many of us, you know, not, you know, well, I say many of us, I I don't want to assume anything, I've heard of these kind of people, you know, I've heard of people who get in situations and they're afraid, they're angry, they're upset or whatever, and so they do things that they look back on later and say, you know, that just didn't make a lot of sense. I knew better than that. Why did I do that? Okay? Well, the reason we do those things is because when things go wrong in the lower levels of brain, especially the first two levels, which are our attachment center and our fear centers, when, those, when things go wrong in the attachment center and the fear center, and we'll spend more time looking at this next week, that what happens is you can almost picture it like a pipe with gates at different gates or valves at different junctions of the pipe. And when something goes wrong, let's say, for example, in the fear center, our amygdalas in our brain basically are like guard shacks, and they view everything as either good, bad, or scary. And if something is scary, they shut the valve, they don't let anything else through. And so when we're in a triggered place and we go to that scared place, then we lose access to the information on the left side of our brain. And I tell you that because that's why the exercises that we're going to do are so important. Because you can fill your mind with all sorts of information, and it'll sit in the left side of your brain. And it's good information, and it's valuable learning. But it is often useless because things go wrong in the right side of our brain. So a lot of what we're going to be doing in the power of joy is training the right side of our brain. Now, I'll warn you ahead of time, that may be taxing. 
It's like working a muscle out that you've never, they haven't worked in a long time. I remember when I was a kid, we used to go water skiing. And being in New Mexico, you didn't just drive out to Clinton Lake and go skiing. No, you drove many, several hours. And uh, we would oftentimes take the motorhome and the boat and go for a few days. And that was the best thing to do because you kind of skied through the soreness. The worst thing we did would do is when we would load up in the boat and we would go drive three hours to the lake, we would ski all day, and then we would drive home that same day. Because the next day, you could hardly move. Because you were working muscles that you didn't work in any other context. All right? Some of you may experience some similar things as we go through the right brain exercises. I know when Debbie and I went to the Thrive training for the week-long course, there were times in the week when I physically felt the right side of my brain struggling. I had a headache, and I could feel the impact of that headache in very, in very specifically in the right side of my brain. But I'll tell you, that's good news. Because it means that I was working muscles, I was doing things that I hadn't done before, or at least not done well. And so our practical exercises are going to be designed and in very intentional about working on the right side of our brains. But as we move into this, first thing we need to do is we need, I need to give you a working definition of joy, because we have lots of different ideas what joy is. And I'm not going to say that my definition is the exact right one, because, you know, words are, are fluid. They're used differently in different contexts by different people. But what I want you to know is that when I use the word joy, I'm using a very specific definition of it. And what I mean by that is the definition I'm going to use for joy is being with someone who is glad as glad can be to be with me. All right? This is one of the things I picked up from Dr. Jim Wilder early in some of his, in some of his first teachings I read and, and listened and watched him do is he talked about going out to U.S., I believe, don't know if it was USC or UCLA, and listening to lectures by Dr. Alan Shore and Dr. Siegel and some people. And what they had done is these were secular brain scientists who had discovered the impact or were coming to a greater realization about the impact on the brain that joy has. And this joy being defined in this term. Being with someone who is glad as glad can be to be with me. Because when we are in joy, when we are with someone who is genuinely glad to be with us, things happen inside of us. It feels good. And not only does it feel good, but the current neurology, neuroscience study, is, beginning to sh is showing that it actually stimulates growth in very critical parts of our brain that we'll look at mo in a moment. All right? And so that's joy defined. But what's joy's impact? Well, as I said a moment ago, first of all, it feels good. I mean, who doesn't love the feeling of being with someone who's genuinely glad to be with them? Do you remember in high school when you had that crush on that girl across the room in your, in your, uh, your literature class? Do you remember what it was like when you looked at her and she smiled at you and you got the feeling she liked you too? Yeah, it felt good all over and the reason that it feels good all over is that when we are in joy, when we pick up on those nonverbal signals from another person that they're glad to be with us, our brain releases dopamine and, and other chemicals as well, but dopamine's the one I want us to focus on right now. And dopamine is the feel-good chemical. 
In fact, dopamine is what your street drugs attempt to, what they stimulate. They stimulate dopamine so we feel good. It's what carbs and sugar stimulate, all right? It feels good. So when we're with someone who's glad to be with us, what happens is dopamine is released in both our brain and the other person's brain, and it feels good. But what I want to distinguish here is I want us to distinguish the difference between pleasure and joy. And what I mean by that is the dopamine is released in lots of contexts. All right, as I said a moment ago, if you eat something sugary, it releases dopamine in your brain. If you, <clears throat> you know, if you drink alcohol or take drugs or have a sexual encounter, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all those things release dopamine in our brain. Uh, in fact, smartphones, that's one of the things they do, is they trigger the release of dopamine. All right? Anything that we do for pleasure releases dopamine. But the difference is that joy, in addition to dopamine, also releases other relational connected chemicals in the brain that are beyond my ability to fully understand. I just know it's true, all right? But they release other relational chemicals in our brain and they build, they, they create something that is different than pleasure. It is pleasurable, but it's greater than pleasure. Does that make sense to you? All right? It... It's pleasure, but it's pleasure that is relationally connected. And the reason that I want to make a real important distinction here between pleasure and joy is because a lot of times people say, you know, okay, well, I went out and I did this, I spent this time in my, you know, one time we are having a discussion in men's group, one of the guys talked about how much pleasure, and he was, but he was using the term joy. He said, you know, I had a really great day today. I spent the whole day out in my shop working on my woodworking tools, and it was such a joy to me. All right? Now, what I wanted you to see here is I want you to see the distinction. It was pleasurable... It was not joyful. Because joy is always relationally connected. Because it's being with someone who is genuinely glad to be with you. And the reason I want to make that distinction is because I believe that we are a culture, a nation, a world who has become pleasure addicts without joy. We are constantly, because joy is such a deep-seated need that we have, and because pleasure feels like joy, it's close to joy, it's similar to joy, we have created a whole society of individuals who are chasing pleasure when they're really hungry for joy. All right, just this morning on uh, the Today Show, uh, they had a family, a, a mom, who laid down the law and got rid of all smartphones, TVs, computers, everything in the house for six months. So they went cold turkey. She came home one day and she said it was just the final straw was when I came home one day and all I got was grunts and, the, and could see the backs of people's heads. And I thought, what a perfect illustration of what's going on in our world. See, we're chasing the dopamine hits but we're chasing it on the internet, <clears throat> we're chasing it on TVs, TV shows and movies, we're chasing it on games, on our computers, or our phones, or our PlayStations, our handheld DSIs, all those things. And so we're getting the pleasure hits, but not the relational joy. 
And so it was really a cool interview because they talked about, you know, the, even her kids said, yeah, we're glad we did it. We don't want to do it again, but we're glad we did it. Because we could see it helped us distinguish about how easy it is to get sucked into the trap of being absorbed in the technology and losing the relational connection. Because with the technology turned off, they started playing games. They started reading books. Their son started playing his saxophone again. All sorts of good things began happening when they disconnected from the pure pleasure and gave more room for joy. All right? So we just need to keep that distinction that joy brings pleasure, but not all pleasure brings joy. All right? And where this comes to now is this leads us up to understanding the transmission of joy, how joy is communicated and and transmitted between us. And what you need to know, first of all, is that joy is communicated non-verbally. It's not about the words you're saying. You can tell someone, I'm glad as glad can be, till you're blue in the face, but if you're not glad to be with them, the words mean little to nothing. And the reason is because it's communicated non-verbally and it is always authentic. You can't fake joy. You can't come in when you're mad at your wife and tell her you're glad to be with her because, and you know, she may say she believes you, but her, her the right side of her brain that we'll talk about in a moment is able to pick up on the nonverbal information you're sending and it just doesn't translate well. What I mean by that is the chemicals releasing in her brain do not match joy. So while your words may say I'm glad to be with you, all your other communication is saying otherwise and there is a disconnect there. It is nonverbal, it's authentic, and it's important for you to understand too, it is especially fast. In fact, it cycles at the rate of six complete transactions per second. Okay? Now, I'll explain that a little bit more, but let's just, first of all, show you how it, how it plays out. And here's a slide I created, and it's incredibly complicated to create, and it looks really simple up on the screen. Um, but just humor me, because I, I hope it gets the point. So here's two people. If you notice on the right side of the slide, you have a, a chart over there that I call joy level. So you'd imagine your joy level, you got two people, they're kind of at the bottom, but they come into a room, they see one another, they're glad to see one another, they're happy together, and so what happens is you can see the line going across. Person A just sent person B a message of joy that says, I'm glad to be with you. And when that happens, person B receives it, it feels good, and their brain releases a little dopamine. And so they're feeling good because they got a little dopamine hit, and they got feel good because you're glad to be with them. So they send that same message back to you. Only this time, their message actually amplifies a little bit as their joy is rising, as it's building. So they send you back a message of joy. And when that message of joy hits your brain, it feels good. And you have another dopamine hit and it gets a little bit better. So you send it back to them, only now it's amplified again. It goes up one more notch. And then you, then they send it back to you or you send it back to them. I lost myself in the whole concept here. But what I want you to see is it goes back and forth, back and forth. And with every transmission, the joy increases. And it happens incredibly quick. 
six back and forth cycles each second. And the reason that that's important to know how quick it is, is it also helps us to understand why it's always authentic. Because it takes a third of a second for us to be consciously aware the other person's even in the room. And in that one third of a second, it takes us to be consciously aware of the other person. We've already had two complete cycles of transmission back and forth about what we really feel about them. The best way to illustrate this is to think of an interaction with a small child. Now, maybe your own child when they were real small, maybe a grandchild, maybe just a small child in a grocery cart in front of you, okay? And what I want you to think about is like, what happens when you see a baby? You know, there's something about a baby that just wells up within each one of us and it draws joy out of us. So you see a little baby and you're glad to be with them and so you communicate joy to the child. And the child receives it, it feels good to them, and they communicate it back to you. Now let me backtrack for just a second. It's important to note the way that happens. That joy is communicated through from the right side of your brain to the right side of their brain. That's where the, the chemical transaction takes place. But as it comes through your brain, what it does is it makes a flip, a mirror-type flip. So things that are felt in the right side of the brain are expressed on the left side of the face. And specifically in the left edge of the left corner of your eyes, and especially your left eye. This makes that mirror flip, if that makes sense. And so what happens for a child is that they receive that transmission from you at a rate, you know, six times per second, from your right brain to their right brain that says, I'm glad to be with you. And when they receive that message from you, their brain releases a little bit of dopamine and it feels good. And so what happens is you have this transaction going back and forth, back and forth, amplifying at each moment and with each transaction until a child gets to a place where he's got all he can handle. Okay, think about it. A child's ability to handle joy is like a child's ability to handle everything. It starts off small and over time it grows. And so a child has a joy capacity. Well, we all have a joy capacity, but it's especially noted in a small child. And that once a child reaches that joy capacity, guess what? They reach the point where they, that's all they can handle. Jim Wilder calls it, describes it this way, he calls it climbing joy mountain. That you go back and forth and up the mountain, and then the child will get to a place on the mountain where he can't climb anymore. And so what the child does is the child looks down and away as his signal that he needs rest. It's called gaze avert. And now that you know the principle, just try it. It's really fun. Try it with a child, even if they're not your own child. Just smile at them and watch what happens. Okay? And what happens is the child gets to that point where they've got all they can handle and they look away. And that is their signal that they need rest. Now, typically, a small child will look away, rest a moment or two, and then they'll look back and they'll smile and they say, okay, let's go again. And so then you can make another jaunt up a little higher on Joy Mountain, and then they rest. And you let them rest, and then they go again and again, and you repeat that cycle in this rhythm of joy and quiet, and it does amazing things. All right? But what you need to understand here is that what the child needs in this process is for the adult to synchronize with the child. 
And what I mean by that is that it's real important that the adult, who, the adult, <clears throat> it's real important that the adult go, meet the child where the child is at, rather than expect the child to come with the adult. And what I mean by that is, for example, some grandparents are notorious for, you know, the child looks away to gaze of earth and they go, no, no, I'm over here. And they tickle or they poke or they do something to draw the attention back rather than allowing the child to rest. Well, what's important to note is that missing the cues for rest is more damaging than not connecting in the first place. It creates a child who can't rest, a child who can't slow down, who can't quiet themselves, soothe themselves, control things later on in life. All right, so this rhythm is extremely important. But it's also important to note that this rhythm of joy and quiet stimulates growth in our prefrontal cortex and builds a healthy brain. Now, the prefrontal cortex sounds like a complicated term, but it's really not. It just means uh, in the frontal part of your brain, behind the, cort- behind the eyes, uh, the right orbital prefrontal cortex, to be more specific. It just means in the right side of the brain and behind the eyes. It's more of a road map. And the interesting thing is that we are born as infants without this part of our brain. But that this part of our brain grows through the stimulation of joy and quiet. When we're in this rhythm of joy and quiet, when we're climbing Joy Mountain with adults as a child, what happens is that the chemical process that happens in our brain creates the environment that grows the tissue, creating the prefrontal cortex. Amazing, isn't it? In fact, it helps us understand why it's such an important need that we all have. Jim Wilder, in his book, Living in Men, says it this way. He says, joy is the first emotions an infant will seek on his own. Seeking joy is the primary and perhaps strongest human motivation. And that's why he also goes on and explains later on that at nine months of age, a child will want to spend up to eight hours a day sharing joy smiles. That's all the baby wants to do is smile and laugh and giggle. And let's be honest, it's fun as the adults too, isn't it? But then here's the irony. Is how many moms, how many parents feel guilty about laying on the floor and doing joy smiles with their child all day when the house is a wreck, there's laundry that needs to be done, or I should be out getting a job making a living? Well, guess what, folks? The best moms get very little done outside of the baby. And unfortunately, that is a truth that we have not understood well. And it's, yes, it's compounded by our generation and our culture today where both parts of the parent, both parents work. But even before both parents were working, it was still a problem because moms felt the pressure to keep the house in order, to have dinner ready, to have everything ready, and to cover everything for the spouse who was working. It's always been a struggle. It's magnified today, yes, but it was always a struggle. But it also points out to the real value of mom staying home because nobody will love and play with their baby like mom will, all right? But this cycle of joy and quiet is so important because it builds the prefrontal cortex of the brain. And this prefrontal cortex of the brain, it's also helpful to know, has some peak times for growth. 
Some peak times when it's especially fertile and ripe for growing. The first and most significant time is birth to age two. More growth takes place in that period of our life than any place else. But then the second growth spurt is at age four. And then a third is at age eight. And then a fourth is at age, around age 15, which coincidentally, not coincidentally, co- coincides with many times the first real crush, the first love. That first sharing of the oogly eyes with that cute girl that likes them too, etc., etc. But then another huge spike, a potential spike, is at the birth of the first child. This is especially true for new moms. Holding their baby, nursing their baby, playing with their baby, doing joy smiles with the baby. You know, it grows the child's prefrontal cortex, but the good news is it also grows mom. And the other last spike that they talk about is at the first grandchild. Many grandparents are better parents, grandparents than they were parents. And one of the main reasons is because they're able to slow down and enjoy the kids rather than the kids being such a burden. But what I want you to see from that is that there are peak times, peak opportunities to do remedial work in our children, do remedial work in our own lives. But while there are peak times, it's, the good news is that while the optimum time for growing our prefrontal cortex through joy is early childhood, the process works for the, our entire lifetime. As long as we have breath, we can grow our prefrontal cortex. All right? And that's important because it gives us hope that we can change things. Well, what are we trying to change by growing our prefrontal cortex? Well, it's helpful to know what kind of problems we struggle with when there are prefrontal cortex issues. The first, most obvious one, or most, most dramatic one, is ADHD. All right? Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder is primarily a prefrontal cortex issue. When the prefrontal cortex doesn't develop properly, then a child will often struggle with ADHD. And then the other symptoms I'm about to talk about are also are common symptoms of ADHD, but they're also for many of us who wouldn't class, be classified as ADHD. All right? If you have prefrontal cortex issues, you struggle with impulse control. You know, you don't really have the money, but you buy it. You don't, it's not on your diet, but you eat it because it's there. They struggle with addictions. They struggle with time management, always being late. Um, They struggle with attention span, uh, distractibility, procrastination, poor judgment, problems expressing themselves, and a whole host of other issues. Now, if you feel like I've just described you there, well, please understand there's no judgment there. Please understand I consider you in good company. Because really, as I look back on my journey, while not realizing it 10 years ago, not realizing it until maybe 4 or 5 years ago, a significant part of what I was working on in my recovery was my prefrontal cortex issues. So if you struggle in these areas, don't feel judgment there, but recognize, oh, here's a place that I need to work. Because the great news is we can grow our prefrontal cortex through the rhythm of joy and quiet. And that's why I've called this class the power of joy. It's because I want us to use joy, learn how to use joy to do the remedial and the healing work in our lives that we all long for and need. Okay? We've seen firsthand evidence of this in our recovery groups. 
And what I mean by that is that we've had individuals, even before we understood this process, we saw it at work. And what I mean by that is that, for example, we've had individuals come to our groups who are bookworms, real intellectuals, smart, brainy people, who devour the materials and yet still act out and seem to be making little to no progress. They can have a great conversation in group. They, can, they understand the concepts, but yet it seems like day after day, week after week, they're right back in the pig pen. Contrary to that, we've had individuals who have not, you know, they're not really intellectual, they're not big into the material, reading materials, they struggle to read things and do the workbooks, etc., etc., but the thing they've done well, the thing they did well, was come to group. Come to group, make phone calls, go to lunch, coffee, get with guys outside a group, and build the relational connections. And guess which of the two got healthier quicker? We've seen it over and over and over again. It's not the amount of information learned, but it's the strength of the relationships that are developed. The guys who develop the relationships, who build their joy capacity, are the ones who make the most progress. Why? Because they're building their prefrontal cortex. And as they build their prefrontal cortex, guess what they start doing? They have better impulse control. They're better at setting goals and follow through with them. They're better at being on time. They're better at doing the things that put them in a place to where they can have more success in their recovery. And so that's what we're wanting to do with Power of Joy. Power of Joy is not going to be issue-centered. Whether you struggle with pornography or alcohol or workaholism or busyness or religious addiction or carbohydrates or whatever your avenue of struggle is, and we all have them, okay? Uh, I hope if you're here, I hope you're at least acknowledging that. We all have areas that we struggle with. In the restarting material, Ed Kahuri and Jim Wilder have a great <clears throat> an acronym for that. They call them BEEPs. Behaviors, Experiences, Events, People, and Substances that we use to artificially regulate and medicate our emotions. All right? We all have them in different ways. But whatever your issue is, one part of healing from that and having a better handle on it and living life more victoriously is building your joy strength with others. And so that's what we're going to try to do here at The Power of Joy. So with that in mind, I want to give you some basic tips for building joy here at POJ. Uh, just in short for power of joy. The first one is to make power of joy a priority. Come, be here. Week after week, Wednesday after Wednesday, find a way to get here. I know it's hard. I know in the middle of your week, you've got kids' activities, you've got to work late sometimes, somebody in the family's sick. I understand all those things. And trust me, there will be no judgment on the times that it's impossible for you to get here. But let me just encourage you, to build joy, be here. The more often you're here, the more comfortable you'll get with the people around you that you don't yet know. <laughs> The more often you're here, the more joy you will experience. And so be here as much as you can. Make it a priority. If you miss a week, come back the next week. Get the teachings on CD so that you can hear it, so that you can learn from it. 
but getting the information doesn't get it into the right side of your brain. If the information's helpful, but the bigger thing is to have the experiences and do the exercises with us and have the chance to share joy with those who are here. But then second, when you are here, and this applies other places too, but smile and greet one another with joy. <clears throat> you know, one of my best examples of that is the old TV show, Cheer, Cheers. Remember when somebody would walk in the bar, they would, set, they would all stop and they'd say, Hey, Norm! And there was just this sense of, we're glad that you're here. Well, my prayer is that Wednesday night, power of joy becomes that kind of place. My prayer is that as you get to know one another, there will be a lot of greeting, a lot of smiling, a lot of hugs exchanged, a lot of, hey, Susie, glad you made it tonight. Don't be afraid to express your joy. Smile, greet one another with joy. Then third, third way to build joy at, at Power of Joy is to ask inviting questions and listen attentively without interrupting. Okay? It's great to ask some probing questions. It's great to ask questions that show interest. But listen. Let them explain. Don't interrupt. That gives them a real clarity that you care for them and helps them believe that your joy is genuine. Okay? Another tip is to connect outside of group. Get together for coffee. Carpool together. Uh, last round of belonging, we had a crew from Kansas City who came and they carpooled together. And they had 30 minutes of creating belonging before they ever got to New Hope. And it was very evident. You could see it in the way they entered the building. And it's a real blessing for them. Phone, call one another. We found in our recovery groups, the phone calls are, are a huge part of the recovery process. Anything you can do to help build connection, both inside and outside group, will make joy more abundant in your life as you attend the power of joy. And then fourth, be intentional about eye contact and seating arrangements. All right? That's why we made a big deal about how the chair, you know, that's why we're going to make a big deal about how chairs are lined up, is so that you can have the eye contact that allows the transmission of joy. Remember when I was explaining how joy gets transmitted, that's one of the things we talked about. It goes through the eyes. So if you're sitting beside someone and you're looking at their earlobe, it's hard to see their joy. But if you're across from them, looking at them eye to eye, you will experience more joy. It's also one of those things that if you think about the enemy's attack against us, when someone is in their shame, what are they usually doing? Get their head down, their eyes on the carpet. So even when people are glad to be with them because they're in their shame and they're looking down, they can't experience it. So we want you to be very proactive, even if it feels awkward, even if it feels scary, to be proactive and use eye contact. Be aware of how you're sitting. And then along with that, don't be afraid to smile and laugh. When our groups, when we're doing our exercises, there's going to be stories people tell and they're just downright hilarious. Enjoy them. And that, that voice you hear in the back of your mind that says, don't laugh, don't laugh, keep it stern, stay, stay, stay stoic, etc., etc., just tell them to shut up, <laughs> all right? Relax and allow yourself to enjoy our time together. And then next, get to know others in the group. Work to understand their fears, their wounds, their joys, and especially their glory. 
as you have opportunities in your interaction, both in exercises and outside of the group, look for the glory that's within the other people. You know, one of the things in religious circles, Christian circles, that we are so often focused on is our sinful nature. You know, we have verses like Jeremiah 17 that says, the heart is wicked and beyond cure, who can understand it? And from that, we take that and we just put everything through this lens of people are bad and evil and yada, 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 and we've got to beat it out of them. Well, guess what, folks? Our glory is deeper than our fallenness. And what I mean by that is, before you get to Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve rebelled against God and fell from their glory, guess what? You have Genesis 1 and 2. And one of the points, one of the significant points of Genesis 1 and 2 is that man was the culmination of creation. And that God created man, male and female, he created them in the image of God, he created them. That every single one of us are reflections of God's glory. Every single one of us are image bearers. And so we need to allow God's glory, we need to be looking for God's glory in one another. And tip number eight. Treat one another with dignity and respect and do everything you can to end well. And what I mean by ending well is that even when conflicts arise, and, and again, in the exercise that we do here, they're not going to be, uh, hopefully they're not going to be conflict-oriented, but sometimes it happens. Sometimes things come up unexpectedly. Sometimes people get triggered. But do everything within your power to end well. Even if that means ending on a note of saying, you know, we're not going to agree on this, or I'm sorry you were triggered, but I want you to know that I'm glad to be with you. I value our relationship more than I do the problem. And that's one of the things we'll really look at from some of the belonging materials, is that the relationship is more important than the problems. So do everything you can to end well. And ninth, ninth tip for building joy, use touch when appropriate. But in parentheses, ask permission. A, hand, a strong handshake, a welcome hug hello, or goodbye is often very, very good and builds joy if the person is able to receive that. So if you're a hugger, if you're a toucher, let me just encourage you, don't quelch the, squelch those gifts because they are real gifts that bring joy. But be willing to ask permission first. Be willing to say, instead of just grabbing someone and hugging them, being willing to say, hey, would you, are you okay if we have a hug goodbye? Can you, are you a hugger? And to ask for that permission because it does build joy unless you're with someone at that, who either at that moment or in general has a real struggle there. And so give them permission and it will build joy. And then next, another tip for building joy is don't be afraid to surprise someone with a note, a card, or a small gift. In belonging, we do a lot of that. And it's a real blessing. But let me encourage you that that's great here too. If you have an encounter and exchange with someone in one of your exercise groups or whatever and we're really blessed by it, write them a note. Drop it in the mail if you can come up with their address or bring it with you the next week or get it to me and I'll help you get it to them. But just a way of just encouraging one another. Those build joy very powerfully. And then also practice appreciation. And we will do a number of appreciation exercises throughout the time of power of joy. 
Because appreciation is one of those things that really turns on the relational parts of our brain. In fact, one of the instructions I give to couples who are struggling, especially to men, uh, men in my group and stuff, is that if they have a commute home from work, to spend part of their time or their whole time on their drive home just talking to God about things they appreciate about their wife. And you know, it's amazing what happens because as you talk about appreciation, your brain warms up and the relational circuits of your brain warm up. And so when you walk in the door and you've spent 10 minutes driving home talking to God about all the wonderful things about your wife, guess what? You're genuinely glad to see her. And uh, doesn't automatically mean she's going to be in a place to receive that, but it means that you go in the door offering the best of yourself. Same thing can be true here. If you're driving in here, you're struggling, spend a little time in appreciation about anything, about the beautiful sunset, about a gift you received, about God's presence in your life. Spend time in appreciation, and that will make you more able to express the joy you do have within you. Well, those are some tips, and I'm sure there's some others, but that's enough for now. But what I want to close with tonight is just talking about some ground rules for keeping POJ safe. We, one of our real desires for New Hope from the very beginning is that New Hope would be a safe place. A safe place for hurting broken people, which I don't think there's any other kind. The only other kind there are, other than hurting broken people, are people who are pretending that they're not hurting and broken. We're all broken. Life in a fallen world hurts. But with that, hurting people often hurt others. And so we want some basic ground rules that will help us all stay safe here. And so here's some. First of all is we want to never have groups of less than three. Whenever we do our exercises and etc., we want you to be in groups of three or four. All right, worst case scenario, a group of five, if numbers just fall funny one week. But the reason we want groups of three or four is because when you share joy, it's a powerful thing. And joy awakens feelings in us that sometimes, if they're not directed properly, could go south. They could go to uh, inappropriate places or even sexual places. And so we want to help build a hedge of protection by always doing all our activities in groups of three or more people. And I think the, the, the wisdom of that is pretty apparent. But then secondly, we want to have confidentiality. Things that are said here at Power of Joy need to stay here at Power of Joy. Again, we will not be issue-focused, but in some of the sharing exercises, there may be some things that individuals choose to share about their struggles or their personal lives. Please always assume things said here are said in confidence. Don't go to home and tell your, tell your neighbor or your wife or someone at your church what someone said here. Things that are said at Power of Joy need to stay at Power of Joy, all right? And that's just a safeguard for all of us. And then third, let's leave dear Abby at home. And what I mean by that is let's resist the urge to offer advice. When someone is sharing a struggle, they're sharing part of their life, you know, the bells may be going off in your head, and well, if they would just do this, and if they would just do that, and we go into fix-it mode. Well, let me encourage you. Fix-it mode is rarely helpful. In part because when we go to fix-it mode, lots of times we don't really hear what they're saying because we've already seen their solution before we've even heard all the problem. 
The most helpful thing you can do for someone is not provide them a solution, but to stand beside them and listen and allow them to share their struggles honestly. So ground rule number three is leave dear Abby at home. Ground rule number four, recognize that power of joy, while I believe is therapeutic, is not therapy. And what I mean by that is a couple things. First of all, it means that others in your small groups are not therapists. And, and hear this part, even if they have the credentials. You know, there may be times here at Power of Joy that we have licensed therapists here. But you need to understand that when they are here, they are simply fellow participants. They are not your personal therapist for the night. When we do our exercises, even when we do the Emmanuel prayer process, it is to be a process guided by Jesus, and He's the one interacting with us. We are not here to have one another dive into the deep crevasses of our souls and dig out our traumas. All right? Now, the second part, and it kind of goes hand in hand with that, is you need to recognize that some of your struggles may be too intense or overwhelming for others. So don't try to dive into those places. If it comes up, especially during the Emmanuel process, just ask Jesus if that's where he really wants us to go. And if it is, then you can trust that he has the resources for you. But as a general rule, you need to recognize that we don't, this isn't the time or space for diving into the deepest places that we have. All right? It may be that it might bring something to the surface and then you need to make an appointment with a counselor or a therapist who can help you dive into that place. But just recognize our limitations. That in a room full of people, we can't dive into the, all the particulars of each individual. So it's not a therapy session. It is times that we grow our joy, that we learn some of these skills, but it is not, power of joy is not the time to work out all of those issues. And the next, we need a ground rule that says that sharing is encouraged but not required. You are always welcome in any exercise to say, I pass. I'm not in a place to do that. And so part of the boundary that we need to have is that we need to respect one another's boundaries. If someone says, I pass, it's not my job to manipulate or force or cajole them into answering the question. If they pass, honor that and just allow them to pass. You are always encouraged to answer the questions and enter the exercises, but if you've had a really rotten day, you're in a really bad place, or something's too close to a tender place in your heart, you are welcome to say, I pass. And just be able to sit back and listen and grow from what you hear from others. You know, I wish you were in a place to participate, but if you're not, it's okay. I'm still glad you're here because I think you will draw benefit from being here even when you're not in that place. We always respect one another's need to say, I pass. And then last, and I've never had a problem with this, I don't anticipate a problem, but I think it's a good ground rule to have. And that is that intoxication or chemical impairment of any kind blocks joy. So if you come altered in any way, you need to understand that you will be asked to leave. All right? And that's just a protection for everyone involved and, is, and also a protection for you. So please, 
Uh, just as you don't want to drink and drive, don't drink in power of joy. <laughs> All right? So come here in your right mind, or at least as much of your right mind as you have available for the day, and come and share and learn what, we, what God has given us to share and experience what joy can do in your life. Now, moving forward to get us ready for next week. Next week, originally, I'd planned on us doing the Emmanuel process. In fact, some of you may have noted from some of the literature I put out, newsletter and stuff, that I said the first Wednesday night of each month, we would do the Emmanuel process. Well, our snow day has, a week, has us a week behind. And so I don't think we're ready to go into the Emmanuel process next week. I feel like I've got to lay some more groundwork before we get there. And so for February only, we will do the Emmanuel processing February 9th, the second Wednesday. But also in that regard is this next Sunday, this coming Sunday, January 30th, I will teach on the Emmanuel process here at New Hope during our Sunday morning service. It's at 10.15, and uh, you're all welcome. We'd love for you to come. And in that service, what I'll do is I will lay out the biblical foundation for the Emmanuel process. I will explain how it comes, where it comes from biblically and how the process has grown out of theophostic prayer and some other things and hopefully help you have a better understanding of what we do with it. All right? And for those of you who are maybe nervous about this idea of uh, <clears throat> manual prayer and, you know, is this going to be charismatic and hokey pokey or, you know, whatever those things, let me just encourage you with a couple things. The first one is that to know a little bit of the roots of, of Emmanuel prayer. Emmanuel prayer has really been developed primarily by Carl, Dr. Carl Lehman and Dr. Car- Jim Wilder. And the backgrounds of both of those, I think, can be real helpful. Because Dr. Carl Lehman is a psychiatrist, a board-certified psychiatrist. In fact, he did his training here at, at KU, just down the road. Um, but his religious background is he's Mennonite. And Dr. Dr. Jim Wilder, who we're getting a lot of this material from, who's been also a huge proponent and advocate and developer of the Emmanuel process, Dr. Jim Wilder is from a Nazarene background. Now, I don't know a whole lot about either group, but I do know that I would put both groups on the very conservative side of the Christian and especially charismatic spectrum. And so I just want to encourage you with that. Don't be worried. Don't be wiggy about it. It, it, it is a stretch for some of us who grew up in, you know, very word-only kind of context. But I, it's very biblical, and it's not weird. <laughs> All right? It's sometimes a little different. But let me just encourage you to keep an open mind and look at the biblical background of it and to see what God does with it, because I think it is a very powerful process. And I look forward to doing that with you, and I look forward to teaching on it this Sunday. So please come and join us. Then, so what we'll do next week is next week, uh, I plan on doing the monitoring and restoring your relational circuits teaching. And I still will do that, but since so few, of, since only about half of you have the background of gone, going through restarting, I'm going to spend a lot of our time next week just kind of walking you through Brain 101. What does the brain, you know, the five, la- level, the five levels hierarchical structure of the brain so that you can understand what it means to be able to monitor and then restore our relational circuits? 
And that relational circuits teaching has been incredibly helpful for many of us. I know it's been very, it's been invaluable in my own life as I, as I continue to struggle with different things. And it's really helped me to stay on top of things rather than to be fighting from a great place of deficit. And so we look forward to that part next week. Well, with that in mind, let's go ahead and move into our exercises. And so what we'll do is we want to form groups of three or four. And again, we want you to do whatever you need to in order to make them look like this. All right? We want, you know, facing one another, the ability to have eye contact, the ability to look at one another, and not in a line, not in a, you know, not in a bunch, not in three facing one, so someone feels like they're in an inquisition, but in a way that you have equal access to one another. All right? And we want to remember what we've learned tonight as we go in these groups. Remember to be in groups of three or four, to be able to have position in such a way that you can see one another easily. Remember to allow yourself to smile and remember to maintain eye contact. Don't be reading the paper, but look up one at one another and talk about your stories. Also, remember to have active listening, to carefully try to listen to what the other people are saying. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Listen to them, and when it's your turn, you'll do just fine, I promise. And then last, I just want to encourage you to have fun and share the joy. So, why don't we go ahead and jump into the exercise. And the exercise tonight is, in your groups of three or four, discuss the following. First of all, who are you, where are you from, and what brings you to power of joy? All right, just a general icebreaker question to get things started. And then secondly, we want you to describe a scene from a TV show, movie, or book where you were impacted by someone experiencing joy and or joyful community. Maybe seen from Cheers or Friends or a movie, et cetera, et cetera. Just find a place that you can remember seeing that happen and describe it. Or maybe even describe it where you've seen it happen in real life for someone else. And then third, moving a little more personal, please try to describe a time in your life where you experienced genuine joy. The feeling that someone was as glad as glad can be to be with you. And as you describe that, try to remember what your body felt like and describe any physical and body sensations you can remember having or imagine having. Or maybe even any that you're having right now as you're remembering it and as you're describing it. We want to learn to become more aware of our body responses because those responses help us be more attuned with ourselves. And then finally, last question is, where and with whom Do you long to give and share joy more effectively? All right, those are our exercise questions for tonight. But with that in mind, let me encourage you to come back next week. Come back to the power of joy as we continue to learn more and more of what God has for us in this concept of His joy. And in fact, just in closing for that, let me just encourage you to even do a word search in Scripture. Uh, Go to BibleGateway.com and just type the word joy and read through all the different verses that speak of, of joy in Scripture. And it's amazing how significant those verses are, especially when you understand the concept of joy as we're describing. Now, is that how it was always meant in those passages? I don't know. But I can tell you, God places a high value on joy. 
And so we're going to learn more of what it means to live in joy and experience the power of joy together as we walk on this path over the next, next few months. Thanks for joining us, and I'll see you next week.